0: Welcome in, podcast listeners, to the show. I know that some folks call it the program. The program is a little too official for me. I think, uh, you know, program is very scripted and uh, thought out. This is a little shoot by the hip. We're just going to look at our phone and look at what the big news is and tell us or uh, tell you guys our thoughts. And, yeah, that's what we do every week. It's NFL football, Major League Baseball, This week, it's heavy on the NFL because we got the playoffs. Going to talk about Tom Brady's future. Is he leaving the league? Is he not leaving the league? Lamar Jackson, the missteps I think that has led to him and his Ravens relationship. Brandon Staley, what a meltdown. His future. The GMs that were hired by the Cardinals and the Titans in the NFL, going to touch on those two guys and the head coaching candidates or head coaching vacancies out there along with Sean McVay and my divisional round picks. It is episode 106 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Just an absolute ass kicking on Monday night football wildcard weekend. I do not like that it is on Monday night from just uh uh, uh, conditions of the game standpoint you know two games or two days rather the 49ers now have a leg up on the Cowboys and that I mean that's a real advantage when we're just talking about competitive balance and which team might win the game this coming weekend in the divisional round do I like that there's a game on each night yeah as a consumer I love that the NFL they're not changing because it means more money for them they're dominating television each night so I don't expect them to change it, but when we're just talking about, you know, how the games are going to go, I, I really don't see it being fair and square at all. And I'm surprised that you don't hear more coaches or executives. Coaches, they are just, you know, trained to deal with whatever hand they're dealt and, and move on. It's why I love coaches. Um, GMs, though, and owners, I'm surprised that they haven't spoken out more about it. But then again, I guess the owners kind of decided they want to do this, so general managers are kind of the last ones. But You haven't heard too much. And it was dominated by the Cowboys from the get-go. Dak Prescott, Troy Aikman thought it was his best game as a pro. I tend to agree with that. I remember a couple big games, his rookie season. Um, He was just zipping it. And you could tell Kellen Moore, I think it was his third touchdown of the game, there was a point where... They got up to the line of scrimmage, and Kellen Moore said, we're going up-tempo, no huddle, everything's going to be a drop back because they cannot cover. Dak is dialed in. He's precision passing. He's putting it right on the hands of the receivers, and they went up and down the field on him. you got to have a lot of confidence going in against a San Francisco team if your quarterback's playing that way doesn't mean that they're going to beat the Niners because San Francisco was firing despite having a cold Brock Purdy in the first half, but you got to feel really good if you're Dallas. Now, the main takeaway, at least if you watch ESPN, and I understand you you got to talk about it. I don't think it's much of a story because Tom Brady's not going out. With a loss, a blowout loss in the wild card round to the Cowboys, with a depleted nine and eight Buccaneers team, he's not going to do that. Especially when he's at the peak of his game, he's still playing really well. I know there was a uh, forty uh, five year old jokes on the internet on Monday evening. He wasn't. He didn't play bad because he was forty five years old. He played bad because he was anticipating pressure. He got the Eli happy feet like Eli Manning had at the end of his career. He was anticipating pressure and he was bailing on wide receivers and bailing on plays because he was getting scared. That doesn't have anything to do with him physically and mentally. I think when you throw 30-plus touchdowns and throw for nearly, uh, or he did throw for 4,000 yards, I think he can still find a spot in this league. So... To say that he's looking old and he's looking washed, yeah, I don't know if you're understanding exactly what was going on there. We weren't watching the same game, if that's the case. Now, is he going to be with Tampa Bay? I tend to think not because they're not going to be able to offer him the situation that he's looking for, much like New England after 2019. I actually think there should be a closer look at a New England reunion, but from an emotional standpoint and mental standpoint, Probably neither the quarterback or the head coach want to go through that. That's been there, done that. It's it's run its course. So you got to look at the Raiders. His old offensive coordinator, they obviously need the position. They have a GM that he's used to uh, having those types of rosters built for him. Miami, while you have Mike McDaniel, I think there's just a, a gap in how you go about uh uh the game of football of the course of a season. I I remember Brady talking about how him and Belichick used to be on the same page on the progression of a season and how that should work. So I really think it's Raiders. I, I do. I don't tend to believe that the Niners would go that route, especially if they continue to advance in the playoffs. If they go all the way to the Super Bowl and win it, how do you pivot off of Brock Purdy and go with Tom Brady, especially if it's going to be just a year. Now They've had two opportunities go with Brady and the second one, they definitely regretted it. Maybe they don't pass it. Maybe they don't pass on it. Maybe maybe they do want to go with Tom Brady. Even if it is just a year, it's not like Purdy can go anywhere. Even if he does win the game, he's still under contract for, what, $2 million, could send him back to the bench along with Trey Lance. So I wouldn't rule out San Francisco. I tend to think in the order, Vegas, Niners, and after that, it would have to be Miami by a default, but uh, I don't even really put them in the running. I think it's a really a, a two horse race here out on the West Coast in Nevada and California. But Raiders, I think, clear cut number one team is where Brady lands at the moment. It was an embarrassment of a game for the Ravens. They had the uh, uh, the fourth and go for it quarterback sneak, Tyler Huntley. Valiant effort, but I don't know how why he's going over the top, um, especially when it's called to go under the line of scrimmage to try and get to the goal line. And then Sam Hubbard takes the ball, and, and that's the game. It came down to that one play. The horrendous, horrendous fourth-quarter uh, last-minute drive where they're huddling up with a minute and 36 seconds left. It, it was mind-boggling to me. Harbaugh was later explaining it. After that, you need to go no huddle in those situations, not only to save time and to save plays, but also put the defense on their heels. They get tired. They get gassed, as is the offense. But the offense is the one that's on the active side of things. They know the plays. They know what they're going to run. If you're tired and you have to react and you don't know what's about to happen because you're on defense, that's pretty hard. That's also why you need to go no huddle in that situation. So I was shocked that John Harbaugh did that. Of course, he had some explanation because he's he's kind of one of those politicians at the press conference like Staley, Brandon Staley, who we'll get to later on in the show. Harbaugh is just a better football coach and a little bit uh, more logical with his football decisions, so he can get away with that political garbage sometimes. But his explanation, I, I, I did not understand a lick. And I don't think anybody else did, including the the Ravens beat guys and gals who were covering the team. So very strange. It was even stranger that Lamar Jackson did not go to the game. Things have been fishy for a while now. If it was unofficial, now it's official because you don't travel to a playoff game. It's not totally uncommon for a player not to do that. I remember Gronk back in the day. I don't think he traveled to a playoff game with New England. But he was under contract. Lamar has an expiring one, and he's the quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. Why aren't you there? And I'm not even putting it on him. Maybe this is a Ravens deal. Maybe he really is hurt, and he's limping around like Marlon Humphrey told us in the postgame after the Sunday night game. Maybe that's all true. I don't know. I'm not going to put it on either the Ravens or Lamar. But what I will do, and this was back in March when I was saying this. Lamar Jackson should have hired a professional agent. Right now, this whole fiasco is going on because he did not get a deal done in the spring, summer, or fall before the season started. He has enlisted his mother, someone who has no background in the legal world, and himself to negotiate the contract. Yes, Roquan Smith just negotiated hundred billion million with the Ravens. I understand that, and he did that on his own because Roquan Smith also represents himself. However, Roquan's a linebacker. This is a quarterback, and it's a running quarterback, a player that we've never seen play the position the way he does at the level that he does. So it's going to get a little bit complicated, and the Ravens are going to want to have some escape clauses, and Lamar is going to want some assurances in this contract, a.k.a. it's complicated. It's not as simple as saying guaranteed dollars not negotiating further if you're Lamar. That's what Robert Griffin III would do if he was Lamar or if he were his agent. That would be a bad move because the Ravens are not going to budge on that. Why? The owner, after Deshaun Watson signed his guaranteed contract, came out and condemned the entire thing, called it risky business. He's all but publicly declared, I'm not going to do that. So now you get into the season— you get into a playoff race, you hurt your PCL, and it comes to what I'll just call a nut-cutting time, and you're not there. And maybe you are hurt, or maybe you're just kind of milking this injury to get the season over with, and then you can finally sign your big deal. But all I know is, had you hired a professional, this likely would have gotten done. Because Lamar has not engaged in contract negotiations, and he hasn't showed any willingness to actually put forth what he wants and put the expertise that he thinks he has on the table so he can get the deal done. Had a professional been there, he would be a Raven for the next handful of years, and maybe, just maybe, he would be suiting up for the Ravens of the playoffs this year. I was watching the Saturday night game with my buddy, uh, Negus and he had called it as soon as the Jaguars got to 14 points he said this is a ball game now I wasn't quite sold on it but then it cut to Brandon Staley the Chargers head coach and my buddy Negus pointed out that man is shaking in his boots he is sweating over there and visually you could see it it just got worse and worse as time moved on here he got nervous he knew his team was not in a good spot And you just continue to see the Chargers dropping back to pass and pass and pass, putting it on Justin Herbert. It really is reminiscent of the Lions with Matthew Stafford. I remember uh, I told Negas, I was like, you know, it's just like putting it all on his shoulders, asking him to save the team with no sense of complimentary football, not even just a basic game plan to play off of all the phases. It's just drop back, get as many points as you can, and we'll see what happens. They needed a power running game to really wear down that Jaguars team, not only physically but mentally. But instead, it was these three and outs and quick drives on offense that gave the opportunity back to the Jags to score more points, and they got in it and they won the game. And, yeah, was it officiated horrendously? I am totally against what Sean Smith did. Joey Bosa, I am in the corner of the player on this one. Sean Smith instigated that. And Joey Bosa was a hold, so rarely I typically always go with the officials by default just because I think they have a hard job, and I think the application of the rules is what gets glossed over a lot of times with the public. In this case, that is not true. Joey Bosa, that's a real raw deal. He probably will get fined. That's okay. I think it's worth it speaking out on it because Sean Smith, that, that, that was an embarrassment. He should not have done that. But nonetheless, the Chargers... Meltdown on offense, Joe Lombardi, he got canned as he should. I think he's a good coach. I just think for that team, probably wasn't a great fit uh, with their personnel and and what they need to to be a good team. And the Jaguars, resiliency. Trevor Lawrence, coming back from four interceptions. A couple of them, really not his fault. Every interception has its own story. I think this guy, he's going to be... An all-time great if he has that curiosity, if he has that drive that Manny, Breeze, and Brady have, the just obsession with the process of Monday through Saturdays. I remember Philip Rivers. He said, "I love Monday through Saturdays. Sundays, hmm, you know, that that's when the fun be, begins. That's for free because that is just a blast. But Monday through Saturdays, the work. That's what I still get a kick out of. This was when." rivers was still in the league i think lawrence he's he's gonna be a hell of a qb and you're gonna have a lot more wins like this down in duval if he continues to have the 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 hunger to be great and obviously he has it being young the jaguars i don't think they really stand a chance this weekend but this is a real positive step in the right direction you got a grown-up head coach a guy who coaches the quarterbacks Uh, Do I think he's the best offensive play caller? No, but he definitely is way better than Urban Meyer. And I I just, I feel really good about the Jaguars heading into next year. But ultimately, I think their season comes to a close after this weekend. So Arizona hired a general manager, Monty Ozenfort. Strangely, he was a pro- Football or a pro personnel director, or maybe it was player personnel director with the Titans after John Robinson got canned, and the Titans interviewed him but chose not to hire him, and they actually took San Francisco's Ron Carton. So maybe a little bit weird that they let him go. Maybe it was because he was so close to Robinson, they wanted to get a fresh start. I don't know, but it was really impressive that on the first day, the general manager of the Cardinals says there's not going to be egos that are tolerated here. So, Kyler Murray, you're on watch. And the bad news for Murray to kind of come in and I'm not going to say assert his dominance, but just maybe even prove that he is a team guy, prove that he is the leader capable of taking over this franchise, is that he's hurt for the next, what, year? Like, he's not going to see the field maybe at all. And if he does, it's going to be December. And if Ozenford, who's got a background in scouting has, has run the uh, player procurement uh, uh, departments his entire career, if he finds another quarterback, maybe they look around and say, mm, Murray, do we really need you? Because the dead money on that contract is going to be far less after next season in 2023, they may be able to get out from underneath underneath it. So, Murray, he's gonna have a lot to prove quickly when he comes back, especially if it's not until 2024. So I think Bidwell, who gets a little bit of a bad rap, you know, is he a great owner? No, but he's not a bad owner. He doesn't meddle too much. Um, he he definitely has a longer leash than a lot of other general managers, but he also doesn't always, you know, strike correctly in those positions. Steve Kine was pretty good, um, was able to get a couple quarterbacks. And put together a couple of good rosters, but never really quite made a deep run, and never really were dominant in nature. So I think you know, New England general managers typically have a pretty good track record of getting good rosters put together, but they've never been in the stable environment to get the leash that we're talking about. It's always been in Detroit, and the Fords give up on you, and it's been in Tennessee, and you know that that one actually turned out pretty well, but then they gave up on you because you know the OC was drunk on an airplane. So it's, it's going to be interesting here to see if Monty can get it done. On Ron Carton, I don't know much about the guy. I really don't. I do know that he's from San Francisco and John Lynch, and they've done an excellent job putting together rosters. I don't understand why I haven't heard of him. With general manager openings being out there, I'm surprised that I haven't heard of Ron Carton with him coming from a franchise that's been one of the best in the past, I don't know, three, four seasons. You would think you would hear about a name like that, but I never have. I I think that Tennessee just wanted to zag from their original zig with the Robinson tenure, and that's why they didn't uh, hire Ozenfort. So we'll see how that goes. I think the first order of business is, what are you going to do with Ryan Tannehill? I like Tannehill. I think is a good option for the Chicago bears because he would be cheap, but re-upping with Tennessee, he would expect a contract along the same average annual value. And I don't think if you're Tennessee, you want to do that. I think it's time to look at a more long-term solution. So that's what I would expect Carton to do. Maybe he trades for Trey Lance, gets him on a cheap contract, and then the ankle's healthy and he can come over to Nashville. But, That would just be because he knows Trey Lance from his time in San Francisco. So that's going to be something to watch and I think might be a good candidate as we go into the offseason here. Now, the other thing is that the head coaching vacancies out there, Sean Payton has pretty much said he will interview anywhere. He named ownership being chief among the most important things. I don't know how much he can make out of Denver. We don't know enough about their ownership group yet. He named Houston. Cal McNair as one that he does know. And he, he sounded pretty optimistic about it. So it sounds like he's legit giving that consideration. And then of course there's Indianapolis. Don't see him doing that. Uh, the Cowboys is not going to be open. I think we can kind of put that to bed here. Even if the Cowboys lose, they're not going to fire Mike McCarthy. The guy has got 12 wins both years. I mean, if you really bail on him and you don't get Peyton, if you're Dallas, you're in a real bind. You you don't have a good option to coach the team. Yeah, you have Kellen Moore, and he's a good coordinator, and Dan Quinn's out there, but let's not forget, Dan Quinn had a disastrous ending to his tenure. He went to the Super Bowl, and I always remember that. And it was It's always my way to coach myself back into Dan Quinn, but the guy was disastrous, and you see it oftentimes with With players it's like a guy will have a bad season and then he'll go away as a backup for a year and then he'll play one game the following year and you'll think man maybe he's refurbished himself maybe he's good Mitch Trubisky's like this but Really, he's not that good. There was a reason he was let go. That's the that's kind of what I'm thinking about with Dan Quinn here. I think he's a hell of a coordinator. I think Dennis Allen is a guy that, I, you know, he doesn't look great right now. I like him. I still bet on him. But maybe in the end, he's the same way. So Dallas cannot just let Sean Payton or uh, Mike McCarthy go bet on Sean Payton that he's going to choose the team. Because really, yeah, he knows Jerry Jones. And he knows Jerry Jones because Bill Parcells coached the team, but that doesn't mean that him and Jerry are like boys and they're going to be tight and that he's going to want an owner like Jerry watching over his shoulder and in the day-to-day operations. Maybe he doesn't want that. The only reason it's been uh, hinted at that he would go there is because he he coached there under Parcells. Maybe Peyton doesn't want to be there in the first place. And then the other one is Indianapolis. and. If Jeff Saturday is hired, that will be one of the more fascinating stories in NFL history. A guy in 2022 with no head coaching experience at any level or any coaching experience at a position level, at any level in the NFL or college, he had, he had coached a high school team down in Georgia And he went 1-7, and and then he had the interim tag lifted. That would be one of the crazier things. It would be even crazier, I think, than Jim Irsay and his father, Bob, firing the head coach during the preseason during the 70s. Look that up. That happened. Bob Irsay fired the head coach steaming mad after a preseason loss. So do I think it's going to happen? No. I think common sense will prevail with Irsay. Um, he's kind of cleaned up his act a little bit in the last few years since he got pulled over for, uh, being high and popping pills uh, in his car. Um, he, you know, this is kind of one of those things where it's a reminder that he is a little bit of a kook, but, uh, I think he will hire someone that actually has a background, uh, coaching in the NFL who that is. I don't know. I think they might go with Raheem Morris, who I like as a candidate Rams, Buccaneers, He's been a head coach at the Ladder in Tampa, and he was a coach 10 years ago. I think he can be a hit because he has had the experience of being in that position and then being a coordinator again. And most importantly, he's coached on offense and defense. Not a lot of coaches can say that, and he's definitely put together some good defenses, and he's been around the NFL game for a long time. So I would definitely look out for Indy to do something like that. And then Denver. How can you fix Russell Wilson? Because he's not playing well. I don't think it'll be that big of an issue if you get the right guy in there. But I don't know offensively if there's a right candidate that fits Denver too much. Sean Payton might be that guy if he likes the ownership group, and that's a simple solution. But other than Payton, I don't know. Do you really want to hire a, a uh, Sean Steichkin from Philadelphia? Do you really want to hire the other Gannon guy from Philadelphia? Do you want to hire uh, Ben Johnson? I think I saw that he's not even going to entertain any head coaching opportunities. Who's out there? Those guys have been in their roles for one year. They don't have a background years upon years upon years coaching in the league. It, It would be a gamble pairing that up with Russell Wilson because you'd be doing essentially the same thing you did as you did with Nathaniel Hackett, but the difference is, is Hackett has been in the league as an OC for ten plus years. These other guys, these other cats, they've been doing it for one, two years. That'd be a real gamble, and it reminds you that when we're talking about hiring a head coach or an OC in the NFL, you're always victim, you're always prisoner to what is available. So you have to be very careful, like the Cowboys with McCarthy. You have to be very careful when you fire a head coach to finish finish the question. Who's going to coach the team? Who's next? And you're always going to be prisoner to what's available. And this year, it doesn't look like the pool is all that great. So the one guy I didn't talk about, Sean McVay, decided after 48 hours, I think it was, he was going to return to the Rams and coach the team. He explained he wanted to run through adversity, not from it. So it's clear that his thinking, he was looking at the dire situation with the roster and he was thinking about bailing. And I think from a coaching community standpoint, there would have been a lot of guys that maybe lost respect for him. Not that it would have affected his chances of getting a future head coaching job had he, had he taken a sabbatical, but you know, there, there would have been some guys that looked at him maybe a, in a different manner. And he would still be able to fill out a staff, even though I just saw that he's losing five assistant coaches from the Rams. And it got me thinking, this is really where he's going to be able to take that next step, like a Mike Tomlin, a John Harbaugh, a Mark Levy, a a, uh, Marty Schottenheimer. I'm not even talking Belichick. I'm not even talking Bill Walsh, because those are the Rushmore head coaches, all-time great. But all those other names, harbaughs the Tomlins, those are guys that are all-time greats because they've been able to stick around with different personnel and gut through the dark days and make them not so dark. When you look at the Ravens and the Steelers and some of those Bills teams after uh, Buffalo had their Super Bowl runs where they lost all four of them, uh, when you look at those teams, their records are... Not too shabby in some of their lean years. Their lean years aren't so bad. And I think that's the real sign of an all-time coach. Because when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and how they did this year, in the final week, they were in the running for the final playoff spot with Kenny Pickett, first-year quarterback. Nobody thought the Steelers would be there. Nobody thought that the roster was any good, even though they would have made the playoffs. But yet you look at the Cleveland Browns, Way more talented, they were not in the running. Not whatsoever. Why? Because one has uh, Kevin Stefanski, the other has Mike Tomlin. John Harbaugh, even with Joe Flacco, what? They still won six, seven, eight, nine games? You're never going to be a joke when you actually have a legit head coach. That's what Sean McVay has in front of him right now. He just lost five assistants. His offensive coaches... They're always going to be in demand because they're always going to want to take something from his tree because you see the success with the teams with Zach Taylor and Kevin O'Connell and Matt LaFleur. So he's got a real challenge ahead of him. Yeah, you won a Super Bowl. Yeah, you're a good coach. You're not going to be a flop wherever you go. But you're going to be able to make wine out of water if you prove to us that you can get through this. Next phase with the Rams. You got the same general manager. He's going to get you some good players. He's got limited picks. From a salary cap standpoint, you're pretty limited because it's all tied up with Jalen Ramsey and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. Are you okay trading one of those guys and getting something back, grooming and developing a young player? Can you be the next team like the Ravens and like the Steelers? and those squads that are never going to be a flop. Can you be that in the NFC West? And I think that's what's going to make him an all-time great coach. He doesn't need the next Super Bowl. He's already got a Super Bowl. There's so few coaches that have those. Andy Reid didn't get his until, what, year 18? Uh, Murray Schottenheimer never got his. Mike Holmgren only got one. Sean McVay, can you make your team look a hell of a lot better than they actually are? We're going to find out starting next year. Okay, let's get to the divisional round. The first one is going to be Kansas City hosting Jacksonville. Can it be closer than anticipated? Sure, you got playoff football. You got a team riding high after a huge comeback, but Kansas City, too much time to prepare. Andy Reid, I think it's well-known, off a bye, extra time to prepare. He throws in more plays. His teams are prepared. They execute them. Oftentimes, they're very creative and clever uh, gadget plays. I think Kansas City will roll with this one by about ten points at minimum at uh, at Arrowhead. And then when you look at Philadelphia and New York, I would not be shocked if Giants go in there and have the upset. They have to keep it low scoring. They absolutely have to be comfortable scoring maybe twenty four points and limiting the Philadelphia offense because I don't think New York is going to be able to gash. Over the uh 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 the Philadelphia defense like they did in Minnesota. I know they kind of had some issues earlier in the run game, Philadelphia, but they shored that up with a couple of signings. I know they got Nadam Kangsu, so I think they're going to have to be comfortable. Can you win this game only scoring maybe twenty-four points? And that's you know on a good day, and that's where it's going to be tough for the New York defense. They're going to have to have some takeaways. And how healthy is Jalen Hurts? You know, I don't know. I'm not comfortable going with the Giants quite yet, but I might be come Saturday. When you look at the Sunday games with Buffalo and Cincinnati, this is going to be quite the affair. The game that did not happen, the first no contest that I can ever recall in the NFL. DeMar Hamlin might be on hand for it. And two high-powered offenses quick strikes, this could be a game in the mid-30s. We could see a team get into the 40s. And I think it's difficult to go against Buffalo just from a morale standpoint. They they have one of those rare seasons that you look back on where you have the documentary and you you hear about just the intangibles, like the Patriots after um, 9-11, rallying around something like DeMar Hamlin, it's contagious. The locker room feasts off of it. Everybody's dialed in to a next level. NFL players, they're pros. They get it. They want to win playoff games. This, they get paid the big bucks, and in they're in competitors. But when something like that happens, everybody takes it to another gear. And it's it's hard for me to pick against Buffalo right now. At any point, I think they could even beat Kansas City, especially because it's going to be on a neutral field. I think that hurts the Chiefs. It's not fair to them, but. Obviously, very, very unique circumstances there. Right now, I'm picking Buffalo, especially with Cincinnati uh, having the depleted offensive line. Now, when you look at Dallas and San Francisco, great showing by the Niners. I think they did play a really bad Seattle team. Um, a, A team that's really bad considering playoffs. Seattle was the final seed. And yeah, they smoked them as they should have smoked them. We might be given a little too much credit here. Brock Purdy did not have a good first half. Will they be able to make up for that against a Dallas Cowboys unit that's been fifth overall in defense this year and scoring? I don't think so. I really don't. Were they firing on all cylinders offensively? Yeah, the Niners were. But it took them until the second half. That could be too little too late. And I don't know if it's being talked about that Seattle, they're not that good. Were they better than we thought coming into the year? Yeah, But when we're talking about upper echelon teams in the NFL, they're definitely not in that category. They just snuck into the playoffs. I'm giving Dallas a little bit more credit on this, especially because we saw Dak Prescott having his best game ever. Now, the kicking game, I don't know what to make that. The guy had the yips. Is he going to be a factor? I really tend to lean Dallas at this point in time because the more I think about it, cold purdy, playing against a bad Seattle team, Dak firing on all cylinders, Fifth in scoring is the Cowboys' defense. I like Dallas going in to Santa Clara and getting a W. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. The podcast, Pete Forcey, Tell your friends, follow, share, review, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and make sure to follow us on Twitter. We're always in-game tweeting, live game tweeting, all the NFL games, at Pete c. That's where you can find me. I post my thoughts there course i post them here after the games and we look forward to the future episodes here episodes excuse me and make sure to tell your friends and family thanks so much we'll see you guys next time